Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today and greetings in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we're going to be dealing with a contemporary issue within our faith. Today we're going to be looking at evangelicalism, and for the next few weeks, one time a week, we're going to be dealing with different movements within evangelicalism. Alan is with me today. He's going to be asking questions as we go through this. Hopefully it will represent some of the questions that you may have or things that would pop up into your head as we're dealing with this issue. Evangelicalism. First of all, when somebody asks me to define myself, I don't like to put myself into a category except for this category. I am a servant and a follower of Yeshua, the Messiah, of Jesus the Christ. He is the way to God and the only way to God. And so when I look at this, that's really the only way that I want to be classified. However, people will ask, but who are you? What is your background? How would you define yourself within that context? Probably most of the people that are listening today would say we're evangelicals. We're an evangelical Christian. What does that mean? To be an evangelical usually means that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, not that it contains the Word of God or some of it is the Word of God, but we believe it is the Word of God and that we follow God and we understand what we believe by Scripture alone. Evangelical movements are in unity with that. It is Scripture and not tradition or not systematic theology of one church versus another church that guides us, but what we believe and what we teach and what we preach must come from Scripture alone. This is what came out of the Reformation. From that, then the cardinal understandings of the Word of God are consistent within these groups, that we believe in one God, one God that exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Scriptures teach us. We believe that there's only one Messiah and one way to God, and that is through Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. We believe that there's not two roads, there's only one road. There's not two ways, there's only one way. We believe in the deity of the Messiah, that he is one with the Father and fully represents the Father. And we go out into this world with the message of Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, and that there is salvation in his name. That's what it means to be evangelical. In the past that we see this, that those that come from an evangelical movement within this movement have basically the same message. Now within that context will become variations. You'll have Pentecostals. Pentecostals represent probably over 50% of evangelicals if you put the Pentecostals and Charismatics together. You'll have people coming out of a reform movement with all of their Calvinism and all of the things that come with Calvinism and once saved, always saved. If you go into Pentecostalism, they have their distinct Pentecostal doctrines as well. 
uh, that kind of define them as Pentecostals and Charismatics. Pentecostals and Charismatics believe in the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have never died out and have always been for the body of the Messiah. Those within the reform movement would believe, most of them, that they're not for today. They are a cessationist, that those died out. But they're both evangelical. You can go into other groups as well, say the Messianic movement. They come out of evangelicalism, and we'll talk about that. You have those within the Hebrew Roots movement that we're going to talk about specifically today, that many of them come out of the evangelical movement. Talk about the seeker-friendly, the seeker-sensitive movement that is dominating the Western world and we look at what is happening within this context, they are coming out of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism is a movement that we have things that unify us, but then it gets very diverse at times when you look at all these different groups within this movement. Hopefully I'm making sense. There are some dangers within all of these movements There's some great things, and then there's some things to consider to look at concerning some of the things that they are advocating. And that's what we're going to try to do in the next few weeks, months, look at these individually and try to understand where are the dangers that lie in these movements. So I'm going to open it up for Alan. Just within that context, do you have any questions? Yeah, I think that's that's interesting because, you know, I'll get asked that a lot too. Um, I lived in uh, New York City for quite a while. You know, the first thing when you say you're an, you're an evangelical, non-believers have this picture in their head, and it's, you know, it can be a negative picture at times. So I, I do like what you said at the beginning about, you know, not wanting to put yourself in a box because you're not sure what that word means to everybody. Um, and even as you just mentioned, there's so many different subsects and, and subgroups within the evangelical movement. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear this. And I guess it's some things I've kind of known, you know, in the back of my mind, um, you know, growing up in the church my whole life. But yeah, to really, really be conscious of that and say, you know, what is this specific group believe? And, and, and you made a great point, too. Some of them, they have some very positive things that are very good and encouraging and, and line up with the Word of God. But then, you know, the negative things that I'm sure we'll discuss during the, you know, these talks, you know, that's the things that, that you have to watch out for. And, you know, you see some of them eventually, if you go too far towards the negative road, it turns into almost a cultish type of group. And I think being in New York, when you'd say evangelical, it's almost they look like you were in a cult if you said that to a non-believer. And I think a lot of the secular world could view us as that if you just say that word. So that's that's interesting. And and I want to be more mindful of how I define myself when a non-believer asks me, you know, what do you believe and, and what is your religion or, or whatever the question might be. I'm glad that you brought that up. And in different parts of the world, it has different connotations. If you're in Israel, and I lived in Israel for many years, if you say you're evangelical, a smile comes on the face many times of a Jewish person, especially a secular Jewish person, because they know evangelicals are their best friends in the world. But if you're in New York City, in a pantheistic society that we're living in today, And what I mean by that is that Eastern religion has come in that all roads lead to God. That's most of the secular mindset today. It's a pantheistic mindset. If you say you're evangelical, they look at you and they're very angry. 
Because if you believe that the Bible is the sole authority of how we live and how we conduct ourselves, then we believe in moral absolutes. In pantheistic societies, you cannot have moral absolutes. You know, who are you to criticize me? I'm a good person. Who are you to say this is right and this is wrong? Who are you to say that gay marriage is wrong? And then they go down that road. And so an evangelical, most of the time, believes that God's word, if it says it, we must believe it, we follow it, and it is the product of God's spirit. Therefore, we believe in moral absolutes. Now, we'll say this, Alan, that if I had to box myself in today, I'm not comfortable with the word evangelical in America today or in Western culture because of the seeker-friendly, the seeker-sensitive movement that is part of evangelicalism. So if I had to box myself in, I would say to a person, I am a conservative evangelical who believes completely in God's word and believes in the gifts of God's Holy Spirit for today. If I had to box myself in, now if I'm talking to a believer, they would understand that. For a non-believer, they wouldn't have any idea probably what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But again, going back to the original statement, I am a follower of Jesus the Christ, and that's who I am. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I want to define myself, that's the way that I want to be defined. If I die someday on my tombstone, I don't want it to be put. This was a conservative evangelical that believed in the (laughs) gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. I want it to be, this person was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can never lose sight of that. And so even church groups that are outside of the evangelical movement, when you get into mainline denominations, you will meet evangelicals within those movements. If you get into liberal denominations that do not believe the Bible is the Word of God. So if you don't believe it's the Word of God, your teaching, your doctrine can go any direction. And you'll see that they'll have gay pastors and all kinds of issues coming up. And then within that, you'll have evangelical movements that reject that, but they stay within that church. I always say to them, how can you still be in that church? Normally, they say, I am there to try to win people and witness to them and try to bring them back to the Word of God. And so you'll find evangelical people that are even within mainline denominations. Today, Alan, and everyone that is listening, I want to deal with a group called the Hebrew Roots Movement. The Hebrew Roots Movement is a movement. It's not a denomination. Most of the people that are in this movement came out of evangelicalism, and in time, they will not identify as an evangelical Christian. They start off by saying, we want to get back to our our Hebrew roots. Now, let's talk about the positive points about the Hebrew Roots Movement. The Hebrew Roots Movement wants to go back to the New Covenant and understand it through the lenses of the Old Covenant, moving from the Old to the New. That is positive. Most evangelicals today, when they look back to the New Covenant, they're not looking from the Old to the New, but they're looking back through Martin Luther to the New or from John Calvin to the New, or through Pentecostalism of the 20th century back to the New Covenant, interpreting the scriptures through conclusions that were made by those movements. 
when you do that, the problem that develops is you lose so much of the foundation that is coming from the old to the new. You know, I, I will meet Christians in evangelical movements that know certain books of the New Covenant, but they've never studied First and Second Samuel. They've never studied the prophet Isaiah. They've gone to their church all of their lives, and everything has been in the New Covenant, and they discuss everything through John Calvin, through Martin Luther, Bill Johnson. I'm just throwing that name out there because we're going to deal with the what I call the crazy charismatics as well. That's part of the evangelical movement. But they interpret everything through what's happening through his church out in California. And they're looking back, and they really do not have any idea of the foundation of the old. And so one positive thing that's coming out of the Hebrew Roots movement, they're not trying to come back and understand the new covenant through that perspective but they're looking back from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, all the way through Malachi, understanding that is the Bible in which the New Covenant came out of, and they're preaching the New Testament coming from the Old. So that very much is a positive. Any comments about that? Have you seen what I'm talking about, about people not understanding the New through the foundation of the Old? No, I think I think that's a great point, and I, and I have seen that. And um, you know, having been through several moves and, and attended and been a member of several different churches, um, yeah, you can see that in, in some uh, you know some sermons and pastors. It's just only New Covenant and Paul's writings, and and they're taking generally established ideas about that, like you mentioned from Martin Luther or Calvin, you know, which aren't always wrong, but they're they're not looking at it through the lens of historical context. And I think. You know, you made a good point there that, you know, you know, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and the Old Covenant is part of our Bible, and that's a piece of something that, that God said, this is important enough to include in my Word that I want my people to read and to learn from, and I'm speaking to them. You know, the Word of God is God speaking to us through His prophets, through His apostles, and the people that wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, I think it's key that in new churches and, and especially probably in the seeker-friendly movements, you know, they're not going back and looking at these old covenant scriptures and these books. And I do think, you know, some people do get challenged with them when you take it out of context and you say, I don't want to read about this group of people getting wiped out by Israel. And, you know, there can be some questions there. But, you know, when you look at it the right way, and it's amazing to me that, you know, from Genesis 1, all the way to Revelation, it's pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And just to, you know, even go back and to see that and to be able to see that through the Word and through the prophets, the entire book is speaking of God's redemption, of His Messiah, Jesus coming. So I think that's important to to have that full range if you really are serious about studying God's Word and really serious about knowing His heart and who He is, which as a Christian, you know, as a follower, like you said, a servant of Jesus Christ, we need to understand this heart. That old covenant is a big piece of that, and you can really glean a lot from God's Word about who He is through that. Yes, and some within the evangelical movement. I know Andy Stanley, I think is his name, he got in a lot of trouble because he began to question, is the Old Testament even relevant for us today? So when you look at the Hebrew Roots movement, they're the opposite of that, and they're coming at it from the right perspective. 
not only is it part of our Bible, it is the whole foundation of our Bible. When you go and you look, where did Jesus preach? Where did he preach from? He's preaching from the Old Covenant. Where did Paul preach from? When Paul preached at Berea in the synagogue and they went to check the scriptures to test what he is saying, is it true about the Messiah, they're not going to the Gospel of John. They're not going to the Gospel of Matthew. They're, they're not checking back into the book of Acts or into First Peter. These books had not even been written at that time. But what they are doing, as Paul is preaching from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Deuteronomy, and he's preaching from the Psalms about the Messiah, these issues, they're going back to the scriptures. We can never lose sight that this is the scriptures that the new covenant came out of. And they're checking from Isaiah. And they're looking at it and saying, is Paul, what he is preaching, is it accurate? Is this, is, is this what the prophet Isaiah was speaking about? And they came back and said, this was true. And it's interesting that in Berea, they were considered more noble than the believers in Thessalonica. Because in Thessalonica, they believed what they said, but they didn't check the scriptures. But in Berea, the Jews that had come to faith, they checked the scriptures and saw that this was true. Where is the early believers? Where are they preaching? They are preaching from the Old Covenant, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh. They are all Jews preaching the Word of God and showing how now the Old is being fulfilled through the Messiah and now there is a new covenant for the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and that this new covenant is coming to the world. It's not just a part of the Bible it's the whole foundation of the Bible. And when people do not understand Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law, how will they not understand the fulfillment of the law through the Messiah? And then when they look at the whole history of the Hebrew people, the people of the tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, the law, their life outside of the land, their life inside of the land. You mentioned about the Israelites winning a battle and destroying another group or defeating another group. M many people don't realize that Israel defeated other groups because of their sin, but God defeated Israel because of their sin. And when you look back into the Old Covenant, you see the judgment of God against sin and how sin separates us from God. And it brings forth a greater appreciation for the redemption that we have in the Messiah. And so if you throw that out, if you don't think it's relevant, and many times in evangelical movements, what is relevant? That we teach a story about David and Goliath. That's the only thing that is relevant. But as you understand the Hebrew Scriptures, it makes so much more powerful the new covenant that is established through the Messiah. And what a foundation. Another positive about the Hebrew Roots Movement, they see that God is not through with the people of Israel. Where did the law come from? It came from the people of Israel, God speaking through Moses, giving the law before they came into the land. Let's back up a little bit. Where did the covenant with Abraham? Uh, it was established with the Hebrew people. The nation of Israel received the law coming into the land. The prophets came from Israel. The covenants came from Israel. The law came from Israel. The Messiah came from Israel. 
and their rejection of all of these covenants and all of these promises and even their own prophets and ultimately their own Messiah, we see that salvation has come to the world through the nation of Israel. But is God through with the people that rejected him? No, he's not through. But if you look back through the lenses of the reformers and you look back through John Calvin and you look back through Martin Luther and you do not have a good handle of the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Covenant scriptures, you may say, well, these Jewish people, God's through with them. And you won't understand Ezekiel 36 and 37. And you won't understand Zechariah chapter 12. You won't even understand prophecy in the right way unless you study Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah. And you go through these books and looking at Isaiah and Jeremiah to understand the new covenant is being taught from this perspective. God's not through with Israel. God's not through with the Jewish people. God has a plan of redemption. God has a plan to bring them back into the land and to redeem them from the inside out and to redeem them to the land that he promised to Abraham for his descendants. So if you throw away the old covenant, you won't understand all of these truths that are so real, not just in the new covenant, but also in the old covenant. Systematic theology will start dictating to everything that you believe about the word of God. So another great thing that has come out of the Hebrew roots movement and also the messianic movement is a love for the Jewish people that started within evangelical Christians that understood the prophecies that God is not through with the nation of Israel. In fact, Zionism started within evangelical Christians before it even started within the secular Jews within Europe. It's time for you to go back to the land that God promised to you. It started with evangelicals first, and then it came into the secular community within Zionism within Europe, and we see this unfolding over time. That's another positive, a real emphasis on Israel. So, number one, a positive that they see the value and the foundation of the Old Covenant for the New Covenant. Number two, that they see the value of the nation of Israel, that God is not through with the Jewish people, that he has a plan of redemption for them, and a great love and a great appreciation for the nation of Israel. In fact, many that are in the Hebrew Roots movement, they identify with Israel more than they identify with their own cultures and their own citizenship in their own country. And so we see these dynamics, and I would say, Alan, these are positive dynamics that come out of the Hebrew Roots movement that was also in many aspects of the evangelical movement that rejected what we call replacement theology, that the church is Israel and there's no place for the Jewish people at all in the future. No, the church is the Israel according to the promise. And there's an Israel according to the flesh. This is all scriptural based, that God has a promise for them, that he's going to bring them back into the land and he's going to redeem them and he's going to put them in the land, and no one's going to be able to drive them from this land. God will be their God, and they shall be his people. And the Israel, according to the flesh, that rejected the promised one, is going to come back to their promise. And we're going to see Jew and Gentile together as one in the Messiah, in his kingdom. These are positives. 
So now let's look at some of the negatives. Now remember, this comes out of evangelical backgrounds, denominations, and churches. People leave these churches and go into this Hebrew roots movement because they want to get back to their Hebrew roots. And I want to get back to my Hebrew roots. The problem develops is what is our Hebrew root? I'm going to go singular there. Because Jew and Gentile, what is our Hebrew root? It is the Messiah. It is not the law. And so many that come out and they come out of their denomination, say they're Baptists or they're Assemblies of God or they're in a Presbyterian CPA movement, Presbyterian. I think that's the conservative branch of the Presbyterian. They come out of these movements because they're tired of a lot of that systematic theology and they began to study the Old Covenant and they understand I need to get back to my Hebrew roots, plural. They get caught up into a movement And it's not about the Hebrew root. My Hebrew root is Jesus the Christ. It is Yeshua the Messiah. He is the one in which I was grafted as a Gentile, as a wild branch was grafted into the tree through him. And outside of him, there's not any value of anything within my life. And I stand complete in him. He is the fulfillment of the law. And in him, I stand complete. And so when you get into the Hebrew roots movement from a negative standpoint, slowly, Alan, it doesn't happen immediately, but they start getting under teachers that are going to teach them their Hebrew roots. And over time, everything about their life starts to change. They have to keep the Shabbat from Friday evening all the way till Saturday evening. And if they don't keep the Shabbat, they feel like something is wrong within their lives. Mm-hmm. They have to keep the feast. And I'm going to say this. I love the feast. I love the Shabbat. But it starts growing that I have to keep these feasts. And then the dietary laws become very important. Am I kosher? Am I not kosher? Now, they will still say, I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and I stand complete in Him. But you'll see a slow deterioration that takes place where everything is about an emphasis about the law. And stay with me for a moment. And then all of a sudden, they will start saying, now, it's not for salvation, but for sanctification I must keep the law. And a lot of hypocrisy is involved in this because they don't keep the whole law. They start emphasizing the feasts, the Shabbats, and the dietary laws. They don't talk about the sacrifices. They don't go into the judicial laws. For example, if your son or your daughter speaks evil of you according to the law of Moses, what should you do? You take them outside and you stone them. Mm-hmm. That yeah, is, they're not following that. No, and some of their children are way out of control. Yeah. Okay. They will say, no, 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 that's not for today, or we shouldn't do that. Someone that's caught in adultery. If we're under the law, this is where it's leading. And many of these groups within the Hebrew Roots movement, not all of them say this, but many of them do, that we're under the law for sanctification. But if a member in that group is caught in adultery, According to the law, what should we do to that individual? Stone them. Take them outside and stone them. 
So don't be a hypocrite and do not pick and choose what is important to you concerning the law. This is what Paul deals with in the letter that he wrote to the Galatians. If you're going to keep the law, keep the whole law. If you're going to keep the law, go to Jerusalem three times a year on the three feasts. Keep the sacrifices. Normally they say, well, we don't have a temple. Where in God's word does it say that you need a temple to sacrifice? They were sacrificing before the tabernacle, before the temple, after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Many Jewish groups continue to sacrifice. It's so much a part of the law. And so you need to go back and say that the blood of animals can bring about redemption or covering or atonement upon your life. Don't pick and choose and throw out the sacrificial system. And so a lot of hypocrisy within these groups. And then another dynamic is it's not just the law of Moses. They get into the rabbinical law. 70-80% of the rabbinical law is adding and subtracting from the Mosaic law. And so you'll see them teaching with a yarmulke, a kippah on their head. And sometimes you'll see them praying where they're rocking back and forth. Their dress Everything that will go back in the law of Moses. We have to dress a certain way. We have to put phylacteries on our forehead. And when we pray, we have to have the law on our foreheads. We have to uh, do the binding on our arm. And we have to put the mezuzah on our gates and on our houses and all of these things. And so these things become important. Some of that is in the law of Moses. Some of that is in the rabbinical law. And when I say the rabbinical law teaches how we're to do that. Instead of understanding metaphorically that we keep the law with us at all times, everywhere that we go, we need to keep the commandments of God. They turn it into a practice and a religion that you have to do it certain ways. So when you bind them on your arm, you have to do it a certain way. When you put it on your forehead, there's a certain way that you have to do that. All of these things are defined by the rabbinical law. And so you see them dressing different, every aspect of their lives. And over time, Alan, what happens is that their identity is no longer through the Messiah. It's through the law. And then they will start saying, we are under the law of Moses for sanctification. Now, this is the question that I ask them. I ask them, if I'm under the law, do I have to keep the whole law? Normally, they will say yes. If I break one aspect of the law, am I a law breaker? And then they get a little bit silent because they know where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. If I'm in the nation of Israel and I'm abiding by the law, but I, I didn't murder someone, but I'm selling drugs on the side and I get caught, can I say to the judge, I'm not a law breaker because I kept this aspect of the law? That would be crazy if I said that. If I'm under the law and I break one aspect of the law, I'm a lawbreaker and I'm guilty and I should be judged. So therefore, if I'm under the law and I'm not keeping the Sabbath, the Shabbat, I'm breaking the law, therefore I'm living in sin. And they become very silent because a follower of Christ cannot live in sin. In fact, the bondage of sin has been broken in our lives because of the grace of God. Romans chapter 6 
Sin shall not be master over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. And if you really understand Romans 6, 7, and 8, it's the grace of God through a life in the Spirit that breaks the bondage of sin within our lives. Therefore, I have God's Spirit within my life, and, I, and if, I'm, if I'm living in addiction to alcohol, and alcohol is my master and my Lord, and I, and I cannot live without alcohol, how can I say I'm born of God? That's what happens in 1 John. He says, no one is born of God who practices sin. So if I'm living in sin, if I'm in bondage into sin, how can I say that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior and my Master? How many times in New York City have you met a person on the streets that's asking for money and is addicted to drugs and alcohol, and they will say, well, I believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's just a head knowledge. It's not a faith that comes from the heart. It's with the heart man believes. And if we have a heart faith, a faith that comes from the heart, it breaks the bondage of sin. It doesn't mean I don't sin in my life, but I'm not living in bondage to sin. I'm not controlled by sin. So when we look at this, if I'm under the law and not under the law of the Messiah, which is a life in the Spirit, a circumcised heart where I can live a life according to the character of God, if I'm under the law of Moses and must keep it, if I don't keep the Shabbat, I'm living in sin. I cannot say that I'm right with God. And in the early church, there were some from the Pharisaic movement that said that you're still under the law. That's Acts chapter 15. There were some also that said, you're not saved unless you keep the law. And in Galatians, there are some that are saying, you're not perfected unless you keep the law. All three of those go together. Because if I'm not complete and not perfect in Christ, then that's a different gospel. Mm -hmm. If I say I'm not saved, that's the same thing. Unless I keep the law, that's a different gospel. If I say I'm under the law and no one is able to keep the law perfectly, then I'm denying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because he fulfilled the law and we stand complete in him and it's a life in the spirit through a circumcised heart where I can reflect God's character within my life. I'm no longer in the bondage of sin. That's something that the law could never do. So let me kind of bring this together the Hebrew Roots Movement, many within that movement will say that you're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, and you're saved by Him, you stand complete in Him, but now for sanctification, you're under the law. It's the same heresy that Paul fought against the Galatians. And one of the most important things that he says in Galatians, that I want you to comment on this, he says and separating the deeds of the flesh, sinful nature, versus the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. He says, now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That when we come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and we keep our eyes on him and when we're changed from the inside out, that's the reason why Paul says you are a new creation, a new creature in Christ. 
when our heart's been changed and we have a life in the Spirit, then there's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How can the law condemn me when I have the fruit of the Spirit within me? When I'm reflecting the character of God within my life, how can the law come against me? How can someone within the Hebrew Roots movement come to me and say, oh, you're not keeping the Shabbat, you're not under the law, you're not living a holy life before God. You're not doing this. You're not keeping the feast. And I ask them the question, where did the early Jewish apostles, when they went out with the gospel, why didn't they preach the feast? I love the feast because they point to the Messiah. But they didn't preach the feast. They did not preach the Sabbath. They did not preach many things from what we call the ceremonial aspects of the law. They didn't preach the sacrifices. In fact, in the law, in the prophets... God says through the prophets, I hate your Sabbaths, I hate your new moons, I hate your feasts, I hate your tithing, I hate your sacrifices, all of these things. Why? Because when you looked at the life of the people, it was not reflecting the character of God. These things became negative to God where he could not stand them. He hated them because they were not showing the character of God to others, not just people within Israel, but to the foreigners and to the widows and to the orphans and the people that they should be treating in the right way, they're treating in the wrong way and they're involved in idol worship and all kinds of things. But they had all the ceremonial aspects of the law. They're still keeping it. And God says, I hate them. So the early Jewish apostles are going out with the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus the Messiah has come, fulfilled the law. And now there is eternal salvation in his name. What the law could not do is now fulfilled in him. And if you'll put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be changed, and God's Spirit will come inside of you. He's alive, and he'll change you from the inside out. It's a new covenant based upon the forgiveness of sins. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in Corinth, and I'm getting to the point, I want you to comment on this. He, in Corinth, he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The law brought us to the Messiah and released us into the hands of the Messiah and is completely fulfilled in him. It's not that the Messiah brought us to the law, but the law brought us to the Messiah. So in the Hebrew Roots movement, it wants to say the Messiah brought us to the law, and now we can fulfill the law, and we must be under the law. That is a different gospel. That's where it goes into cultic aspects. And everyone that is listening, you need to stay away from any group that is trying to bring you under the law. We stand complete in Christ. Now, Alan, what I was saying about Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, can you comment on that or any questions you want to ask? Yeah, I think, you know, when you were bringing that up, that verse, um, and you can tell me which, which prophet, I think it's Isaiah, but where he talks about your heart of stone will become a heart of flesh. And that's in, the, in, that's in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, yes. Um, so that just came to mind, and that's, that's, what, that's what happens when you accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and dwells in you, and it gives you the ability to walk in those fruit of the Spirit, right? So, so without that, 
you know, you can be a good person, you can do this and that, but you really are not walking in the full fruit of the Spirit. And the law doesn't get you that either. And and you and I were discussing yesterday, you know, throughout the entire Old Covenant, Israel never quite got it right. You know, they would for a while, and then they failed. They failed to meet, you know, their law. They failed to obey God. You had all these different kings that would follow after idols. And the reason they couldn't do that is because they didn't have the Spirit in them through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Right. You had the Spirit of God that came upon individuals for specific times, the anointing that was upon individuals for a task. But in the New Covenant, it's the Spirit of God within us. It is the anointing within us. This is what John says. He says, you have an anointing from the Father that is within you. Mm-hmm. Here, the law cannot bring the Spirit of God. And I think about, too, um, you know, Jesus, is Jesus's words to the Pharisees when he said, you know, they asked him, what, what do you think the greatest commandment is, and this and that. And he said, you know, the law is summed up in this, that you love God your Father and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't do that. You can't love your neighbor as yourself and, and do that without having accepted Jesus Christ and his Messiah and having that Holy Spirit indwell in you. That's what gives us the ability to, to even comprehend that and to do that when he comes inside of us. And the law doesn't give you that. You could follow all these things. Jesus would even call out the Pharisees on that and say, you know, you're, you're washing the outward self and hands, but inside you're filthy. Right. And inside your attitude is is absolutely disgusting. But you think you're by washing this, it's going to cleanse it. It's not. Right. It's only going to cleanse it from the inside. And to do that, the only way you can do that is through Jesus Christ. Right. And I, I like to say it in this way. The new covenant is about a circumcised heart. When we look at this, and I would say, you look back in the old covenant, you see men and women that live for God. However, in its totality as a people... The only way to break the bondage of sin and really bring the law is the law has to be written on your heart. And the Spirit of God within inside of us, it changes us from the inside out that gives us the ability to reflect the character of God and what we do within our lives. So the law is fulfilled in the Messiah. By his death, my sins are forgiven. By his resurrection, It's the proof that I have been justified by God. How can I reflect God and the fruit of the Spirit by a life in the Spirit? So life in the Spirit that produces the fruit of the Spirit that breaks the bondage of sin. All aspects of the law are fulfilled through the Messiah. And I want to bring up one point that Paul brings up in Romans 7, reflecting on what you're saying. He talked about when he was young, he was taught not to covet. That law that was given to him, part of the Ten Commandments, not to covet, it was something that was good. But what did he find himself doing after he understood you're not to covet something from your neighbor? He found himself coveting even more. Mm -hmm. And that's how the sinful nature works. And if I can illustrate it in this way, if you say to your daughter, say one day you're married, you have children, or to your son, don't do this. If you had not said that, they might have not even gotten involved in it. But when you told your son, do not go over to that woodpile and don't play over there because maybe, you know, there's sometimes snakes come and hide in there or something like that. But the day you told him not to do that, what is happening with inside of him? They want to do it more and they think, well, why why shouldn't I do that? Why can't I? Let Let me try it out. That's the sinful nature. 
That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. When I was taught not to covet, I found myself coveting even more. Does that make the law unholy? Absolutely not. May it never even come into our minds. When you told your son not to go to that woodpile, that was a good law that you gave to him, that you had to give to him. If you tell your children, do not run out into the streets. Don't play in the streets. That's a good law. But that's not going to change them from the inside out where they're not going to run out in the streets. Mm -hmm. So the law was a guardian. The law was a tutor that would bring us to the Messiah. How are we going to understand the law? The law made sin very clear of what represented God and what didn't represent God. But it does not set us free from the power of sin. That's what people within the Hebrew Roots movement need to understand the only thing that sets us free from the power of sin is Jesus Christ who died once and for all and changed me from the inside out. And then we come into Romans chapter 8. My favorite chapter in the New Covenant is by a life in the Spirit. One aspect of a life in the Spirit is that we can cry out, Abba, Father. It's about a relationship with God from the inside out. Not based upon, don't do this and do this. The nation of Israel had the law. They knew what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And most people don't realize the the rabbinical law adds and subtracts from the Mosaic law. And it's a way of fulfilling the Mosaic law by keeping the oral law, the rabbinical law, and to say that I'm blameless, I've kept the law. Because Technically, I've kept the law, but you've broken the spirit of the law all over the place Mm -hmm. within the rabbinical law. When we go to Romans chapter 8, I can cry out, Abba, Father. That's talking about relationship. And now let's go back to Jeremiah 31, and I'll try to close on this. Jeremiah 31, talking about the new covenant. I will give a new covenant to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Remember, the new covenant was for them, coming from them, and salvation comes from the Jewish people. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 4. Salvation comes from the Jews. Everything that we have today comes from the Jewish people. Biblical Judaism comes through the Messiah, through a circumcised heart. So when we look at this, this new covenant will not be like the old. And he starts referencing the law, the covenant at Sinai. At Sinai, the law was written on tablets of stone, but in this new covenant, the law will be written on our hearts. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to talk about, and you will know God. Anyone under this new covenant will know God from the least to the greatest, and you will not have to run to your neighbor to know God. If you have to run to one, a guru, a priest, a pastor, a Hebrew roots teacher to know God, anybody to know God, you haven't come into this new covenant. From the least to the greatest, you will know God. Only through Jesus Christ our Lord can we become a new creation and live a life in the Spirit. So now that we're forgiven, now we're coming to Romans chapter 8, this life in the Spirit, where we do not have to go back and fear God anymore. In fact, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And I want to read probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible concerning this. And let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading unto fear again, 
but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who laid down his life and who died for our sins and the forgiveness of God has come about and the new covenant has been ushered in through the Messiah, now we're changed from the inside out and I have a relationship with God that I know God. Alan, I don't have to run to you to know God. You can teach me the word of God and you can teach me things about God and how I need to live my life in a better way. But to know God is based upon his forgiveness. And at five years of age, I knew the forgiveness of God upon my life. I could know God and know that I had a relationship with God. No aspect of the law can bring that to my life. I can keep every aspect of the law if it was possible to do that. But if I break one aspect of the law, I'm guilty of the whole law. But the only way that I can truly know God and walk with God and as a people walk with God is through the Messiah who fulfilled the law. And now I'm very comfortable saying, Abba, Father. I can know him as my father. I can have a relationship with him. I don't have to run from him. Because of sin, I come to him out of respect and honor and say, this is my heavenly father. I love you. Just like an earthly father with a son. If you've done what is wrong as a son with your earthly father, if you're fearing discipline, yes, you run away because you know your father is coming. But a true relationship with the father and the son, the son comes to the father and says, I'm sorry, father. The father embraces. The father disciplines. The father does what is right, but the son has a complete trust in the character of the father. This is how it is with our heavenly father. This is something that the law cannot do. So I need to wrap this up. We're at 53 minutes. And let me say this. Not everyone in the Hebrew Roots movement believes that we're under the law. But in time, it becomes a danger. And their identity starts to become through the law and not through the Messiah. Anything that leads you away from your eyes being focused upon Yeshua, the Messiah, is not from God. The Messianic movement is different from the Hebrew Roots movement, but some get involved in the Hebrew Roots movement that's part of the Messianic movement. When I was in Israel, I was part of a Messianic movement, and I call myself a Messianic believer in this sense and this sense only. I follow the Messiah. I'm a Christian because I follow Christ, Greek language. I'm a Messianic in the Hebrew language. In this sense, I follow the Messiah. I put my eyes on Christ. I put my eyes on the Messiah. I follow him. He is my salvation. So I deny myself, take up my own cross and follow him. Any movement that takes you away from that is not of God. And you need to get out of that movement. Hopefully, this will be of help to some people that might be entangled in some teachings that it's leading them away from putting their eyes on Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, remember this. He says, fix your eyes, the author, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. The whole book of Hebrews is about Hebrew believers going back under the old covenant for their identity rejecting the new because it was going to cost them everything because they named the name of Christ. It's about apostasy. And if you go through that letter, 
over and over and over, it says, no, no. Once you come into the new, you cannot go back under the old. And when you look at this, he says, fix your eyes upon Yeshua, the author and the perfecter of faith. Not just your faith, all of faith is perfected in him. God's faith is perfected in him. And so I'm not talking about all the other false faith, but the faith of the Bible is perfected in the Messiah, and our eyes should be upon him. If I get your eyes off of him or any teaching gets your eyes off of him, that is not from God. You should run from it. And so in the evangelical movement, you have some within the Hebrew Roots movement, some within the Messianic movement that have come out of the evangelical movement are still part of the evangelical movement, but there's a danger within the Hebrew Roots movement. Don't allow it to take your eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's close in prayer. Alan, could you close us in prayer? Lord, we just thank you, God, for this message. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. And I just pray, God, that this message would go forth, Lord, that you would just... Um, open the eyes of anyone listening to us, God, and that they would hear your Holy Spirit speak, God, that they wouldn't hear Scott, that they wouldn't hear myself, Lord, but that it would be your Holy Spirit that would speak to them, Lord. I pray, God, a healing for anyone that has gone um, away from looking at Jesus, God. I pray a healing and a redemption, God, and a forgiveness, Lord, and just an heart eye-opening, God, to anyone that's hearing this that may be under a false teacher, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you you have us in the palm of your hand, Lord. You have anyone that's listening to this that may be in a Hebrew roots movement that is going the wrong way, God. And I just pray, God, that you would show them, God, that you would bring them back Amen. by your grace, by your mercy, Lord. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at Integrity underscore Global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.